want to just cover a bunch of different topics from current events to Father's Day, what that means to, you know, the fellas on the show today. And um, I just think y'all are, you know, some real good brothers. This is a genuine friendship on and off the air uh, with the podcast. We're always texting and just talking about things we see and hear and bouncing ideas off each other. So um, right off the back, you know, there's a lot of talk about what the NBA should do. Players are speaking up. We haven't really heard from key, not to disrespect Kyrie Irving, but like faces of the league like LeBron James. Um, he's really haven't really said much. Um, do you guys have any opinions on what you think they should do or shouldn't do? I mean, I'll, I'll take a stab at it, you know. I think, like, the, the whole plan with the, the bubble and, and, and everything, like, it seems like they're going about it the right way as far as um, everything with COVID. But when, when talking about the other side of it, and 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 Kyrie's argument, like I see, I see where he's coming from too. Um, and it and it's kind of one of those things where is it is is that boycott really going to move the needle on 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 the police brutality issue? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that it wouldn't, because it's, it's never been done before. Um. But you got to look at, you know, and um, who was it? Uh, Austin Rivers mentioned it like a lot of these players, like your lower tier players, like, yes, they're still making good amount of money, but they're the ones that are that are hurting from sitting out these games, too. And that's, you know, hurting their families. And then you think maybe not as much because it's going to be at the bubble. But you think about the people that are working and operating these games those people need checks too so there's a lot of factors that go into the NBA coming back I agree and you know working in professional sports I may have a biased opinion but I sent y'all a video of what Stephen A. Smith had to say and he brought up a lot of good points like you gotta have a plan you can definitely stand for what you believe in you can definitely do what you think is right but if you're gonna talk about starting your own league and you've never had this mindset or you've never brought that to the forefront before you can't just up and start a league out of thin air especially when your whole entire life is documented on getting to the NBA your connections with Rod Strickland, your dad playing in the league you being the number one overall pick you going to Duke playing 14 games like the narrative of Kyrie Irving has never been one day he's going to start his own league. Like, we already know the ambitions of some of the players who want to buy a team and, you know, that are currently doing things. And not to say that Kyrie hasn't always thought this way, but to just randomly say this now after the whole George Floyd thing, it kind of makes him seem like a hypocrite. Like, a lot of these corporations that are just saying Black Lives Matter now, but it shouldn't have to take to George Floyd loses loses his life for you to now consider the issues struggling the the black people as a whole. So I just I got to see more from Kyrie before, I, especially like Dwight Howard. Like Dwight, I appreciate you being vocal and saying what you have to say, but 
you are almost a 15-year veteran. You've never had these statements or, like, there's no consistency in Dwight Howard in my mind. So that's just my thing. Like, it's easy to say these things now because it's topical, but you should have already had these plans in motion. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I um, I don't know if Kyrie said that. It, it, they said um, it's rumored that someone put that out um, to slander Kyrie. It was, um, mm. I don't know if the, he necessarily said that. I think um, it's also rumored that he left the group chat, the Nets group chat, um, after that leaked. So, okay. I, I don't know the official word on it, but I, I, I hear that he never said that. But nevertheless, I still agree with you. Um, I think you, you still, your point still stands because, you know, Kyrie has pretty much had, he's not to say he's been spoon fed this moment or is, you know, something that has been given to him. I mean, the kid is clearly one of the most talented players I've ever seen. Um, I just think that to a further extent, he has to consider the long-term implications of this. Um, and I think it's a it's a radical notion, but I do think that it's something that potentially have wills on the same hand because, you know, with with everything that's going on, like, why wouldn't we just stop playing? Right, that will definitely get the yeah. attention. The same way that Adam Silver said, "Hold up, we need to shut the league down because this Corona thing is real." The after effect of that was the entire world or the country, for the most part, saying, "Hold up, what? This is kind of serious. We're canceling a major sporting, you know, league in the, in America." So yep. you know that that same kind of disruption will cause people to take a step back and be like, "Oh wait, they're serious." You know, but at the end of the day, you do have to have some kind of follow-up plan and understand the fallout that comes from this. Everything from network negotiations to the CBA could potentially huge implications. Yeah, like huge, huge implications, implications as a result. Yeah. And and like one thing like that I just thought about when you mentioned this is that like because sports are not happening right now, like the the country doesn't have for lack of a better word, distractions. Right. And so, like, maybe we, maybe these players have had these kind of, th- these kind of th- um, thoughts and things, and they're just not getting as much attention because there was so much else going on that we could turn our eyes to. Right. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things that, that people do that, that go unheralded. And you know, through through the fault of our society, like we tend to just harp on the negative, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, like I said, not not knowing enough of his background because, to be quite honest, like while while Kyrie's a great a great basketball player and I, I enjoy watching what he does, you know, outside of the game, I'm not really checking for him like that either. Yeah. So. It's, it's interesting because as on one hand, I do agree that, yes, it can be a distraction, but I also felt like American sports has always been something that a nation as a whole looks forward to. It provides so many opportunities and the platforms that these players are on helps them propel themselves and their families for life after sports. As great as a man 
that LeBron James is, if he wasn't a basketball player, he would not have those same avenues that the NBA has afforded him. Not saying that he's not as talented, not saying that he doesn't have the same desires or contributions, but the NBA has allowed him to start a school, to be a brand on and off the court and a recognizable figure that that no other opportunity would have afforded him. So we all know, because we're all former athletes, that sports is a tool. It's not the begin-all, end-all to your life. Unfortunately, we see a lot of the horror stories, but it's a tool to propel you and also the people around you. So I may be for the establishment when it comes to the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, and the NFL. I may not always agree with some of their policies and how they view things, but I think that opens the dialogue to create change. Like... I'm very brand loyal, so I always like to rock a certain pair of sneakers or a certain article of clothing by a particular brand. And so instead of just completely abandoning that brand or that ideal, I am more willing to stick it out and figure out a solution versus just up and quitting. So a lot of these NBA players, NFL players are on the fringe. Like They can't just hope that Kyrie's league pops so they can still get paid. Like, a lot of these players are dependent on these checks and this is their way to feed their families and the people that we don't know and the people that we don't see and the people that aren't famous. So it's, it's a lot that goes into just screw this. I'm going to do my own thing and still be able to maintain certain lifestyles. So it's a lot of background. It has to get figured out first. Not saying that it's impossible, but it's, it's a lot harder than what initially it may seem. Because yeah, like... Like when you think about it, the with Ice Cube and the Big Three, like it seemed like like that kind of did come come about pretty quickly. But like, who knows how long behind the scenes he had that plan? You know, drawing up, you know, bringing in investors and things like that. But to the mm-hmm. to the public eye, it seemed like to like I remember the first time I heard it mentioned, it was on the Dan Patrick show. He was he was a guest on there. And like I feel like he mentioned it, like in March, and they started their season, like right after, um, after the NBA Finals or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So, like it, it can it can be done, but it, you do definitely have to have a plan to make it happen. Indeed, 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 and it's I just miss. I guess I just miss some type of normalcy because a huge part of who I am is watching pro sports and the threat of them not coming back at all, knowing how great, like the NBA was great this year. Like, oh my God, it was leading up to be one of the biggest playoffs in the history of the NBA. Ratings were through the roof and the matchups were incredible. So I guess I'm speaking more from a fan perspective. But yeah, I'm, we'll see. I'm with you, man. But, you know, at the same time, you know, just taking a step back um, and looking at where we are right now, um, considering we had probably the biggest disruption of our lifetime occur with the coronavirus in March that literally upended, yep. you know, our way of living. Um, and then we had George Floyd happen. And it's almost as if the coronavirus was a blessing in disguise because it really forced us to 
upend the way that we're living and take a step back and say, hold up, we need to focus on, you know, not only police brutality, but we just pulled Aunt Jemima from shelves, right? Yep. Like that, that within itself says a lot about where we are as a state. We're forcing the corporations to have tough decisions and tough discussions, you know, and a lot of white people are, are coming to the forefront in terms of not only allyship, but being confronted with how they truly feel. Hate is bubbling to the top. So I, I say all of that to say, man, as much as I love sports and I'm, I'm right there with you, Aubrey, I want to see it happen. A part of me kind of feel Kyrie in that, damn, like maybe we should just disrupt everything and say, hold up, man, we've been going along with this shit for a long time. Like mm-hmm. we've been going along with it, you know, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I truly believe that, you know, black people in this country, we haven't just been mistreated. We've been subjected to state brand propaganda to our likeness. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've been hated by this country. And the fact that you can ride I-75 and still see a rebel flag, that's nuts. It's crazy. So yeah. we, we need a disruption. We need to take a step back and say, what are we doing, really? Y'all want to see us play basketball? We need to change some things, you know? Yeah. Can y'all hear me? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> this is another one of those episodes where I'm multitasking. If you hear gunshots, it's <laughs> Call of Duty. It's not, it's not the hood. <laughs> um, Don't be alarmed, we're Negroes. <laughs> The um the whole um start your own league thing it so much reminds me of remember the N one mixtape when the um apparently when it all like came to an end is when the players decided they were gonna do their own league because they realized how much the sponsors and N one was making and like they legit were making like sixty thousand dollars a year which is a good salary but not a good salary for someone who's on TV every other week. Um, so they just start, they decided to just like start their own league with their own tour, and obviously none of you have heard of this because it didn't work out. Yep. Um, I wouldn't say that would be that would be the case, but like the only way it'd be worth doing anything of that nature is if your beef is with the NBA. But if your beef isn't with the NBA, wh- like why become a competitor of the NBA? Like that was your avenue, and that's pretty much what we're all saying. Your avenue to where you be, how you became who you are, is because of the NBA. Uh, Stephen A. Smith and his little rant, he was like, the NBA arguably has made more millionaires of African Americans than any other entity in the world. Like, I mean, we know the NFL, the money isn't the same as NBA money, and there's not that many black people in um, in the MLB. So the biggest chunk uh, chunk of money a black male is getting in a large quantity is typically going to be the NBA. Um, so essentially your squabble isn't with the NBA and it can't be now because unlike when, um, Stern was the head, uh, person, David Stern, I I would say Adam Silver is probably the most liberal commissioner, most liberal, lenient, open commissioner in all of sports. So like, I I was going to make a joke in the group me, I was going to be like, yo, I can't, the NBA is so liberal. When they come back, I won't be surprised if they don't have like dashiki jerseys or something like that. Like, jerseys, like, like they will bend over backwards. Remember when we were making um, predictions of 
what they're going to do for Kobe. And I think one of us was like, you know, are they going to change it, the logo? But they literally had a, a full throttle all-star, Kobe Bryant All-Star game. Change the name of the trophy. Like, they make some big jumps and leaps um, from NBA Latino when they, you know, that month where they do the Los Lakers and Los Clippers and, and stuff. And then mm-hmm. there's the Black History Month. And then there's the Veterans Month where they have, like, the veterans, like, socks and stuff like that. Like, they go hard. So, speak up unlike you know other leagues speak up and i feel like adam silver is open to doing whatever is needed to be done like they're kind of if this is true just like you said it could be all alleged like you're kind of going at it the wrong way um with the group that you're going at it with like the nba is probably the the one place that they are open to what you have to say and uh, that and we can count on how on one hand how many african-american billionaires are in the world and one of them came from the NBA, and that's Michael Jordan. That and if you look at these other NFL team, other leagues that tried to make it, like the XFL has failed twice, the AFFL, whatever that was, that failed miserably. Like it's tough to start a league. You can have all the brains, all the brands, and all the former players that you want. It's tough to compete against an established brand with contracts with all these TV deals, contracts with all these brands and advertisers, to start your league to go against an established league that's pretty much self-sufficient is tough. And yes, I don't know Adam Silver personally, but he seems to be a pretty decent guy. He knows how to market his product. The NBA is a black league. The people who watch the NBA, it's a global game, but the main drivers of the NBA are black people idolizing these black players so you have to at least listen and adhere to what the black voice is saying lebron james is extremely influential throughout the nba his word matters his stance matters they did the i can't breathe for trayvon martin they wore the hoodies when um the lakers owner was acting crazy saying that reckless stuff about magic johnson stern i mean that stern silver was very firm in his position with that like the NBA is definitely a fair business, and I just don't see a league coming up out of nowhere and competing against it and having success. That's just me. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in full agreement. I don't I don't think a league would would necessarily have have success against the NBA because if you think about it, even if you are able to get you know some of the players to go over, you still have every other college kid that that didn't make that team, they're still waiting on their shot. They might be playing overseas and anything. They they get that call, they're gonna come over. So so the NBA's not going anywhere. And like like Dre was saying, nope. the 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 problem isn't really with the NBA. Like it it should it's it's a it's about police brutality and the injustices of that are that are facing black people. And like that's while sitting out the games may force the country to 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 look at those issues, it, you're, you're not gonna you don't need to attack the NBA to do it. Yeah, I think it was it's more so a knee jerk reaction. Like you said, we we don't really know if it's a if all the statement statements are true, but it just seems like man, he was on the couch one day and just kicked up some dust and was like, "We got to do something, man. We're not gonna play like and and it's easy to feel that way out of frustration." Uh, but eventually, cooler heads cooler heads typically prevail. 
Uh, but that's more so what it sounds like. He's just kind of frustrated at the time, but there's really no plan, you know? <laughs> like, And I, I think that was another point that um, Stephen A. was making. Like, there doesn't seem to be a plan. It sounds good to yell, hey, we want change, and, and we're not going to play basketball, and it's a distraction. But put together a game plan outside of... Because the collateral damage is just like we were saying it's the people who aren't playing on the court who are losing a job there's 12 there's 15 people on the roster that making millions but there's 30 people selling tickets there's person who has a hot dog stand that is only in business during the nba season there's a mom and pop who has chicken wings outside the orlando magic stadium who's depending on those games destroying an entire economy um not just your 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 million dollar income um and i even saw questions uh about that so which one was it ed davis ed davis he's a journeyman in nba he won a championship with north carolina one of the most uh, one of their championships he played for the lakers for a little bit but he had made he made a comment he was like yo it's easy for um for Kyrie to say that because he has a 20 million dollar contract it's easy for um uh for Dwight Howard to say that because he has a Dwight Howard. $20 million house in Atlanta. Uh, but the people mm-hmm. in the comments were like, well, yeah, I guess it's not that easy for you. Your house is only $4 million, right? And and, the, and just like we were trying to say, like, not everyone is a millionaire in the NBA. Not everyone is well off. And a gentleman by the name of Christopher Wallace once said, more money, more problems. So, like, <laughs> like just because you are a quote-unquote millionaire tax bracket-wise doesn't mean you don't have millionaire problems. Like, if you look at their income and how much they really take home, if you have a $1 million contract, you have probably never seen $1 million. Like, your agent fee, the escrow fee, uh, the, like, the health insurance, like, that, all that stuff gets Uncle chopped Sam. up. And then you still have expenses. So, yeah, well, that's a good NBA did make off. a... They made a pretty decent concession with the players. So apparently they're going to have until the 24th of June if they uh, decide they don't want to play. So the players who wish to sit out the remainder of the season, they're going to have the opportunity to inform their team that they don't want to play. So I think this is going to be interesting to see who's actually behind the stance of sitting out. I know that it won't apply to a Kyrie because he's hurt. But if you do have guys like, say, not even Dwight Howard, because I don't think he'll make much of a difference, but let's say randomly a Paul George say, you know what? Yeah, I'm with them. And some of the bigger names, I'll be interested to see what impact that will have to the season overall. Because yeah. if you're giving players the option, and yeah, I'm sure that you have guys like Ed Davis or guys like um, Austin Rivers who may be like, yeah, I'm going to play. And, you know, there are much more longer lasting implications to not playing. But you have superstars who are starting to pull out. I'm pretty sure they'll replace them. But what impact will that have to this upcoming season? It'll it'll just get an asterisk. You know, whoever wins the title that year, they'll say, oh, so-and-so didn't play. But it, it but it's no different than if we went through a lockout with a, with a CBA, you know. Like, you can get re- replacement players like – if they if if the league's gonna play these games, they're gonna find somebody to, to fill the jerseys. That's just I the, think they're gonna have gonna an asterisk anyways. This season's gonna have an asterisk anyways. I think I've that, said that before in the past, but the biggest asterisk should have been the '99 season. But nobody really thinks about it that way. Like 
you never the fifty game season. Yeah, like you never really say, oh, um, uh, Tim Duncan only has four rings. Like you give him no. credit for all five. I see what you're saying, but I think with that, you just had a, as opposed to having your entire season up in it. And I kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, last podcast when I spoke, Aubrey. Um, I think that there are players who are going to be more prepared than others. Uh, as a result of what's happened because there are players who've had more access to resources I think there are guys who like you look at somebody like Jokic like Jokic lost like freaking 50 pounds I don't know if y'all seen that yeah I did see that that was wild like he I don't know how how that's going to affect this game but you can just imagine there are some guys who are going to feast on this new league and there are some guys who aren't going to be as prepared whether it's a rookie who hasn't had the opportunity to really get his footing down or, you know, the guy who just slacked off. I think that this is going to be more impactful because there are some guys who are like LeBron, who's probably been in like cryogenics or something like that the entire offseason, <laughs> you know, just waiting to come in and jump for the free throw line. And then you have guys who really just like, oh, I've been playing video games, you know? So, yep. It's going to be interesting, man. And, you know, the reason why we got on this topic, um, you mentioned it earlier, is the whole police brutality. And unfortunately, this is becoming a weekly conversation. Um, the most recent one is Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta. And it's just my personal thoughts are I'm tired of turning on my television and watching the last words of a black man play out on television like it's a soap opera. To me, all this awareness is great and I'm happy that all these changes are being made, but it's like normalizing seeing a black man get murdered. And it's just, I think that's just damaging because I think of how his daughters, I think he has three daughters and a wife have to relive that every day for like the next few months and that's just crazy to me like I don't know what's gonna I don't know what it's gonna take to change but I'm just enough is enough and early in the week me and Dre had some dialogue about how it's not race related but as cliche as this may sound I just feel if his name was Raymond he'll still be alive today whether he was in the wrong like yes he definitely resisted he ran off with the taser but when you're running away from the police officer you're not threatening anyone's life and to lose your shoot to wound not to kill and that's just easy for me to say because I'm not a cop I wasn't in this situation but I'm just I just I hate having to turn my TV on and every main topic is another black man has lost his life or black woman like it's just enough is enough that's just my two cents. Yeah, and um, that's in, that situation. So the reason why the dialogue kind of started is because I'm I I in light of the climate, I still want to separate the. How do I say this and not lose? followers right <laughs> but, <laughs> so I, I guess i want think about your brand <laughs> like uh what uh, herman uh, uh herman williams said don't click what's his name herman herman edwards he like just don't click send on the tweet if you know right. what he's saying so stupid. <laughs> um 
Um, uh, <laughs> so, in in light of everything going on, we don't want to lose track of. Sometimes it's just a a, a messed up situation, and it's not always specific to race. Now, race is always going to rear its head when the, the the races of the two people involved are different. But in the gentleman situation, Raymond. So, like I said, I don't go too deep into the 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 details of what happened. I try not to watch these videos and stuff. But nine one one call. Dude was sitting in the parking lot of uh, not parking lot, but he was in the drive through of a Wendy's and was sleeping in the car, which is kind of scary because sleeping in a, a car that's on means your foot can get off the gas and caused some issues but I don't know it kind of worked out he didn't harm, harm anyone they pulled him over breathalyzer at some point they decided they were going to arrest him he didn't want to be arrested which is understandable I don't want to be arrested neither and it turned into a scuffle it turned into an unnecessary scuffle on 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 the part of the the person being arrested he eventually got hold of the taser started running and shot the taser at one of the cops because there were two cops and one cop i still don't know which one it was i'm assuming it's the one who didn't have a taser shot him in the back and then he passed away does what he did warrant him to pass away no so at the end of the day i still feel that the cop was wrong i just view it as it was bad policing uh, it was a bad decision by the police officer to pull the gun and find a lethal force to stop the situation. Like, did he deserve to get arrested? Uh, based on what my, my police friends are saying, uh, a police officer has a, a decision to whether, if it's a DUI, to arrest them or to let them go. Um, and that he made a decision of, no, I'm not going to let this person go. I'm going to arrest them. Um Did they, was it kind of cool, calm and collected when he was arresting initially? Yes, he escalated the situation. Doesn't mean he should have passed away from the from the situation. Uh, it turned into a pretty much a three, a two on one fight. Um, but I think the decision to end his life or to shoot the gun was the bad decision. Does that person, the officer, deserve to go to jail or be arrested? Yes. Um, there was, and there's many different folds to that. There's one, you killed him, and officers or some officers refer to shooting someone as stopping them. Like, they, they're not necessarily saying, hey, I'm going to shoot them to kill them. I need to stop this person. So, hey, I, I had to stop the assailant or something like that. Um, so maybe that was his logic. I'm stopping this person because I don't know what this person is going to do. But stopping doesn't necessarily mean it has to be shooting them and killing them. And the, the other part is you shot the gun in a public area, like with a bunch of cars. Like, and I'm pretty sure in that drive-thru, there was someone with a baby in the back of the car. Like, I mean, and you know how America is. As soon as you throw a baby in a situation, it's like, oh, whoa, real life. Like, right? But if there was only, if there was like 100 people with with uh, adults in the car, it's not a big deal. But like, it was just negligence. I guess the term is gross negligence by the police officer making a bad decision. And I think that's more so what a lot of the police, the policing situations come down to. Like, are these people equipped to be a police officer? Being a police officer is pretty much, as we kind of talked about in the last episode, it's pretty much being ultimate authority. Like, you are the ultimate authority in the community, in the city, in the state. Are all these people equipped to do that? Like, do we trust this person with these life decisions, uh, life-changing decisions? And 
I think that's where the reform, police reform, needs to start. Who can become a police officer and who cannot become a police officer? Um, and and that'll have a a huge effect on these types of results. All right, kind of ramble on there. No, but you you make a lot of good points, and like my my big thing that I'm that I'm taking away from what you just said is maybe if we can take away the the ability for for cops to have lethal force like like you see these beanbag bullets and i know like during these riots like you've seen some pretty bad results of these beanbag bullets but if we if we give rubber bullets to to the to the police officers like they shouldn't have lethal impact they should be enough to 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 stop any any criminals out there but like I was also just thinking, and, and this is probably going to set another group of people off. Like, if you think about the the the, the Second Amendment and the, the right to bear arms, like think about when that law was written and the technology that they had for guns. Like at that point in time, like you were only be only able to shoot one one at a time. It probably took you ten minutes to load that one bullet. Like now you come you come into today's day and age and people are walking around with, with automatic exactly automatic. army guns and like what are what are we supposed to do and and i know that the the police's defense is you know well the criminals have them how the criminal get them you know somebody's supplying them with these guns and so i really like i, I don't want to take the second amendment away from people because like I know there are people out, that are out here responsible with their guns. They use them for hunting, whatnot, home protection. Like I'm all for that, but like I think a big part of it is is taking away the 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 lethal factor. And if that can be done, that that's a good step in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah. what it boils down to. And you know, I don't think that. I think all too often we get caught up in whether or not the, this person's a racist or that person's a racist. And I think that oversteps what the true problem is. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the true problem always goes back to unconscious bias and implicit bias. When I hear of the police seeing and them using deadly force, um, such as in the case of this, what, what just occurred in Atlanta, yeah, I, I think that a lot of that boils down to unconscious bias. Now, I didn't watch that video and, you know, I, I didn't see that case too too far into detail to really read into what happened. But generally with these things, it really boils down to what's referred to as thin slicing. Um, and, you know, people are left with split second, split second decisions. And more than likely, if you have a gun and you're left with a split second decision, unconscious bias really comes into play with that. I think you got to take your case of Stephen Clark, um, the individual who was shot in his backyard, his grandmother's backyard. Um, you know, they, he was only holding a cell phone, right? And mm-hmm. chances are, if he's a white man holding a cell phone, data supports, data, historical data has shown that he's going to be well off in comparison to an African-American male. And, you know, implicit bias or unconscious bias weighs heavily in police training. They are often taught and trained to really take a step back and consider their unconscious bias when they're encountering these situations. We've seen the same thing with Tamir Clark, you know, or Tamir Rice, excuse me, you know? 
even most recently with both and Gene in Dallas, you know, I, I totally think that was a situation of unconscious bias. I wouldn't necessarily label, I believe the young lady who did that, Amanda Geiger, as a racist, you know, but I do think that if you were to actually give her the implicit bias test, and there are implicit bias tests you can take online, uh, you know, you would probably, she would probably score low on that test. And that test gives you split second decisions. It's showing flashes of different faces, black, white, whatever. And it's going to show what you actually lend towards in terms of bias. Um, one book that I would recommend is called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about this. He, he talks about this in great detail. Um, and it really boils down to the fact that we, we have to judge. We, we prejudge and judging is a part of survival, you know, but unfortunately for a lot of people in this country, they've been fed the unfortunate narrative that African-American men are prone to criminality. So when you're fed that and you start to believe that over the years, you're going to see African-American men as a threat, right? The reason why we have these countless situations of African-American men dying at the hands of deadly force or excessive force. So I just think that it's one of these things where we have to expand the, the discussion a little bit more to really understand that, yeah, there, there are some people who have very insidious, very evil motives, if you will, but there are also people who fall victim to a bias that they're not even aware of. It's crazy that you literally just said all of that because it feels like deja vu. I was literally right in this same spot saying that to my wife like at five o'clock today, <laughs> like implicit bias, doing away with racism. So um, not doing away with racism, but the word racist now is a trigger word now. Like right. it doesn't have the same impact that it had 10, 15, 30 years ago because it was just the bad guy is a racist. Now the racists are calling us racist because, well, that's racist to me because you're telling me I can't say that word because I'm that's against me. Like it, it's gotten to this whole political word now to where it's lost right. its flavor, so to speak. And and the, the people who say that they aren't racist are the I don't have a racist bone in my body people. The I don't dislike black people. It doesn't matter if you're black or you're white. I don't see color. But it's not racist or racism because we, we'll save that term for the people from the 40s that was hanging people and was letting you sit in the back of the bus. You No, you're, you don't dislike black people, but you have implicit bias. And that same scenario that you gave about the whole blink thing, let's go back down to like the psychoanalyst of a police officer. When, when you're growing up and you said to yourself, you want to be a police officer, you're probably saying it because you want to do away with the bad guys, right? You're going to rid the world of tyranny and evil doing. As a child growing up, when you close your eyes and you picture criminal, who are you picturing in your head? Not you guys specifically, but maybe a 10 year old white male who says, after high school, I'm gonna go to the police academy. Like naturally, when I was a child, if you said criminal, if you did that little, the eye test with me, I close my eyes and I picture someone with a, um, a ski mask on. Like that was always my picture of a criminal in my head. I never pictured what color the person was, but this is maybe Andre speaking on behalf of, of bigot white people. I'm pretty sure they envision a black person when they think criminal. And that's the implicit bias. Maybe you're not racist, so to speak, because you don't hate black people. You've never punched a black person. You never stole from a black person. But there's biases that you have unnatur naturally that you don't even know that you have.
So when you walk up to the car as a police officer and there's a black person in the car, you're anticipating violence, you're anticipating drama, you're anticipating them being combative. And, and But when you walk up to a car from a white person, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like this is just a routine stop. Yeah. And that's the implicit bias, not necessarily you're a racist because that that is so hard to decipher now. And even with the the quote unquote allies, like, hey, I'm an ally. I'm, I'm one of the good ones. I didn't do anything wrong. You still have implicit biases, right? Like when here's another conversation. How do when Black History Month is going on, I always wondered when we go home and we talk about Black History Month with our parents and our family, we see the Martin episode that's about Black History Month. We see the the Family Matters episode about Black History Month. How does the white family in Albuquerque react to it? Like, how do they explain that to their their um, their kids? Like, hey, mom, they're making us do this African-American thing. They said it's Black History Month. Like in 1991, how was that explained in that household? Because those, those same household grew up to work with us at our jobs. And they grew up being told Black History Month is, oh, this is the petty month that we kind of have to be nice to them because like, like, is that the conversation? Like I said, I'm being facetious, but is that the conversation that they were having when they were younger? Because these are the same people that are our supervisors at work or our coworkers or the ones that comment on our page and be like, hey, rap music and are the quote unquote allies. But what are the conversations that you guys are having at home, you know, generally with yourself? When you see a black person get shot on TV and they were labeled the thug, we view it some way, but what are you viewing it as? There was a joke by um, Ari Spears on one of his um, stand-up. It wasn't his stand-up. It was like that comedy All-Stars. He was like, when white people see black people get arrested on, at, on the TV, they're not saying, oh, those African-Americans. They're like, those damn niggas. <laughs> like, that's what they're saying when they see <laughs> us getting arrested on TV. So... Like I said, it goes so much deeper than racism or being a racist because you can't paint anyone with that 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 paintbrush anymore. But there's it's so much more deeper than that. I agree with what both of you guys have said, especially with how the popularity of something definitely dilutes the strength of the message behind it. And that's mainly what I was saying as far as turning on my TV and seeing a black man losing his life. And yes, you definitely want to expose the issues that we're faced with in America, but I also don't want to normalize turning my TV on and seeing, I hate the fact, the back and forth of why this black man died. What, let's bring up his background. You know, why was he a criminal? Why was it like, it's like a person died, period. That's the story. Let's figure out how we can prevent it from happening again. And it's like normalizing us as people dying on tv or being in a position where we're criminals or breaking the law it definitely makes it feel like oh his death was justified because he's another black guy breaking the law and i don't want this narrative of well if you follow the rules and just be a good old boy you won't have this problem like that's to me i hate how it's being represented i guess so I, i guess maybe that's just me interpreting it this way but i hate seeing how the balance of someone's life is being played out like with the judge jury and the executioner on who was this black man why was he in his car why was he intoxicated why was he on probate like a black man lost his life to the hands of the police we need to figure out a way of changing yeah. that that to me to be the I mean yeah I think 
I think on another hand of this is, you know, like on if this is a spectrum and we're looking at this on a spectrum on one end of the spectrum, you have, you know, African-American men who are dying because of implicit unconscious bias. But on the other end of that spectrum, we do have to acknowledge the fact that there is, you know, there, there, there's hate, there's white supremacy. I actually posted this on Instagram a few weeks ago where, you know, as soon as that George Floyd thing went down, I said, just looking at, you know, uh, the guy who killed him's face, I don't, I don't even make, remember his name, I say his name, but just looking at his face, it, I just couldn't help but think that there is systemic racism in our policing. And, you know, to a greater extent, I don't think that it's just police themselves. I do think that it's a system of just putting these niggers in a place you know i think it's just a matter of we want to put these niggers in their place they're prone to criminality so our cops are out there doing the, the dirty work but you know what i'm going to support our cops i'm going to back our cops because these niggers need to be arrested and you know what we're going to put trump in office because he's the law and order president and you know what we got this guy over here colin kaepernick who's protesting literal police brutality but fuck him, you know, and, 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 and this whole Black Lives Matter movement. Nah, it's 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 you know what? Let's go with all lives matter. Better yet, that doesn't suit the narrative well because we don't believe all lives truly matter. What about blue lives matter? That fits us a little bit more. Let's support our boys in blue so they have the authority to go out and police these black men. So I think that it's ultimately a system that comes back on African-American men, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had firsthand testimony of being policed and asked questions. And I'm thinking, hell, I went to college and did everything I was supposed to be. I was considered a stand-up Negro. Why am I being subjected to it? Doesn't matter, I'm black. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I had posted something in our, our text group one uh one of these days uh one you got y'all know i'm a wrestling fan and the tag team champion the new day are african-american well, both actually tag team champions are african-american one of them he's injured and he had this little post about being the good black guy and his right. entire life he grew up to become like he had a degree he he's working on his doctorate right now uh, xavier woods he like his like he's one of the few wrestlers that's working on getting a phd um he as my wife would say he his his subjects and his verbs agree like he's he talks in the right <laughs> way so to speak right so and he was like but it doesn't matter like i grew up my entire life trying to do the right thing so i didn't get lumped into what he's one of the bad ones he's one of the good ones and it still doesn't matter but i know arby you were posting the post by i think it was mark lamont hill who was like it doesn't matter if you're a harvard graduate like, yeah, still a nigga. Yeah, <laughs> like right. yep. you, and we you shouldn't have to be the perfect black guy no. to to nope. to not get killed. And I experienced that firsthand. It's a long story, so I'm gonna try not to get into the whole thing. But y'all were there when it finally happened to me. Um, Toast. It was at the, the party that y'all had years ago when you first met um, Aubrey. Right. So um, <clears throat> in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher. I I went to high school, well, elementary school in Brooklyn. 90% black school and my teacher who was a black woman told us one day in fourth grade was OJ Simpson for me so she was like one day all of you guys will experience some type of racial profiling 
But I always gave people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, if you're good to people, people will be good to you. If you don't wear your pants hanging off their butt, if you don't, if you're not a threat, no one's going to take you as a threat. So I was like, I'm going to be the exception. And people were like giving examples. Oh, yeah, my dad, this happened to him. And my mom, this happened to her. And I was like, it's not going to happen to me. So fast forward, what year was this? Like 2012. Uh, I'm a student at FAMU. I'm a, a grad student. And I remember checking my Facebook groups and I got invited to a party, your toast at the party. And I was like, let me go to the party and let me bring Aubrey. So we all went having an infamous toast and house Exactly. <laughs> well, one of the many. So we went to, I don't know if you know if I'm talking about one I'm talking about. This is, um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is when we first met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, more, for more than one reason that, that will never. A lot of people remember that day. That was a, that was a pretty <laughs> memorable day for some. People got so, married after that party. <laughs> so we um An- another podcast conversation. <laughs> that's for another. Yeah. That's for the after six o'clock podcast. <laughs> but um, so I forgot that I had to do a group project, and I had a, a conference call. So I walked outside to take the conference call, and I'm talking with my group or whatever. Um, a lady walks by. Now the area that we were in was quote unquote upscale neighborhood, so to speak. It, you're probably not living there if you're making, you know, 20, 30,000 a year. Um, she walks by while I'm on the phone. I'm leaning up against my car and she looks and turns her head past me. So I, Andre always gives people the benefit of the doubt. I assume to myself, she's looking behind me because she's turning her head as if she's like squinting her eyes. So I'm like, maybe she recognized someone behind me. So I legit turn around to see this person that she's staring at. There's no one behind me, it's just the wall. So she's obviously staring at me. A few seconds later, she comes closer to me and starts asking me, do you live here? What are you doing here? Who are you? While my group that I'm in the group with is hearing the whole conversation and I'm like stuck. Like, you know, in retrospect, you think of all the things that you could have said. I couldn't believe it was really happening to me. Like my mind already knew <laughs> this is it. It's, it's finally happening to me. She's going to racially profile me. Like, why are you here? And I was like, I'm here. I'm, I'm a college student. Like, I'm trying to spit everything that I can spit to prove to her. No, I'm a good. I'm one of the good <laughs> ones. Like, I'm, I'm on the phone with my group. I'm in a, a, a master's program. I'm getting my MBA. This is my car. Like, I was trying to explain to her that I'm a human being and this is my car and I'm a good person and I'm in grad school and my friend is having a party in that apartment. She told me to go in the apartment. Like, you shouldn't be here. She went upstairs and I'm like recovering from the situation. She went upstairs to her, um, her neighbor who lived across from her. They started talking and she pointed down at me. And then maybe five minutes later, the neighbor's son came and moved their car. Their car was like a red BMW. And it wasn't that close to me, but he moved it even further down like the parking lot. Uh, And at the point I just was panicking because I'm like, I have to get out of here because she's eventually gonna call the police. And I know how this is gonna end. Like she's gonna get the last laugh. I'm either gonna go to jail or worst, not worst case scenario, best case scenario, they're gonna tell me, no, you have to go inside. And she's gonna get the last laugh. Like I felt so helpless for the first time in my life, like there's nothing I can do, and I'm the one in the right. So I, I, I didn't enjoy the rest of the party. I remember I told Tosin, and, but I didn't want to throw the party off, and I didn't want anyone to think that the party was going to get canceled because the police were coming. But like I was shook the rest of the night. I got home, called my LB, and cried. That was my first time crying as an adult in a long time, and it was like I, I thought of all the things that I could have said in retrospect, and you know hindsight is twenty twenty, and it finally happened to me, and I was like. But I was always the good one. I was always the 
you talk really well. I was always if you wear glasses, you know, your pants isn't hanging off or behind. But it was my I finally had you're still a nigger moment. That was my you're still a nigger moment, and I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm because I can't look in the eye and and figure out if if they're legit anymore. Yeah, it's definitely emasculating to have those scenarios and situations because you just never know how you're presenting yourself and who's perceiving you in a certain way. Right. And to have to explain who you are, what you do, like that's not anyone's business. That's not some old lady who's concerned. Like my skin color shouldn't make you feel threatened. Like I, I just I never feared anyone in my life because of their skin color. I never felt like, oh my God, let's leave this area because of these people here. Like, maybe that's just me growing well, up. Well, I mean, how if I they're wearing up. black Air Force Ones, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm taking a step back, personally. <laughs> so it's just, it's just so bizarre how we have to carry identification verify that we're educated we speak well we're working we're, we're part of this whole program whole community before people even give us the benefit of the doubt and that's just so crazy i don't want to normalize that mindset and concept in life and it's, it's, it's just it's crazy yeah man. we we have a long ways to well, like, and I, i'm sorry go ahead Vince. well i was gonna say like like you said when it's when you talk about normalizing like you have to look at the way that the, the black people are just portrayed and this is probably where a lot of that implicit bias comes from and so like when you take news stories for example like it could be the same crime that was committed but when they show that mugshot on the news the black guy is always you know oh I'm in my wife beater drinking a 40 and the white guy's he's you know pushing his kids on a swing you know right so there's that portrayal and then you take it to to hollywood and even even black movies like like a movie like friday it's telling a typical day in the hood but does it portray us in the best light and so i think there's got to be a, a big change in 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 the way that blacks are are portrayed in the media and not to make make light of Friday because it is a true a true story that that is relatable for so many of us, but well, there needs to be more positive examples put forward so that way, you know, in normal everyday everyday life, when we are being the quote unquote good guy, you know, it doesn't hit people as a surprise. But, now, and unfortunately, Vince, those movies are so hard to get made, and that's part of the problem. Like Hollywood won't buy the black doctor movie or the black movie with the lawyer who saves the white guy. Hollywood would buy oh, you guys are going to be smoking weed and music? Oh yeah, that's going to definitely sell. Like, it's it's such a tough industry to portray us in a certain way. Like, it's, it's so deeply rooted, man. You got to uncover so many different layers to successfully portray us the way the Mark Wahlbergs and Tom Cruises like honestly I haven't seen all their movies but I don't know if they ever die in their movies compared to a black man being murdered or being the villain like 
all those movies with Mark Wahlberg, Tom Cruise, and you know Brad Pitt of the world, they survive the movie. They're the main characters of the movie. They're the type of men you want to become and be. And for a black man to get that same type of respect, you have to be like one of the three. You have to be Denzel, Will Smith, or Idris, or substitute Idris for Jamie Foxx. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I ultimately think that we as a, a people have to come to a, a collective understanding as to who we are. I actually had this conversation with a close friend of mine. Um, we were looking at some pictures of just people we knew growing up. And, you know, we saw a picture of a friend in his cell. And his son, you know, was about 17 years old. And he had, if you're familiar with Miami and Florida culture, we call them dookie dreads. You know, <laughs> like big clump together dreads. But, you know, knowing this kid, them, them thick jokes. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> several dreads that's fused into one. So you might have like, you know, a thousand dreads in your head, but it'll just show us three. Anyways, you know, <laughs> this kid had him. He was about 17. And, you know, we know this guy is a good kid, but we're like, man, you know that his hair is interesting. And I had to take a step back and say, you know what? I know he's a good kid, you know? His outward appearance is a completely different thing, but he, he, inside, he's a good kid. He has a good heart. And, you know, from what I see on social media, he's doing good in school. So everything that you're seeing on the outside really doesn't matter. And I think that we as a people ourselves have to get out of this respectability politics of policing our image. Because so much of yeah. what we think, we do it to ourselves, you know? This person looks like this, they have gold teeth, or they don't talk like that, or, you know, this, that, and the other, then we, even ourselves, we go into this prejudge mode of automatically thinking this person isn't, you know, X, Y, Z. So I think we, we have to understand that ourselves because, you know, hearing everything I'm hearing about George Floyd, and y'all touched on it, he wasn't an angel. But that still doesn't mm -hmm. mean he's not subjected to humanity, right? He's not subjected to being exactly. treated like a human. So, you know, I think yeah. a lot of this respectability politics, we have to come to an understanding ourselves, you know, like, hey, like we, we're not going to all look the same. I, I have to have this conversation with a lot of older conservative black people themselves because they want us to be clean cut. You know, a lot of them want us to be and look a certain way. I'm like, no, nah, those days are over. You know, you, know we, you, have to, you have to accept us how we are. It's it's funny you bring that up, Toast, because I I had forgotten all about this because it, it it happened to me, because like going into my senior year of high school, you know my hair was, you know a good ten inches, so I'm I'm corn rolled up all all day, every day, and you know my dad, you know as old school as he is, he said you know son you need to you need, you should probably cut your hair for your senior picture, and I was like for what and he was like you know Justin. <laughs> And he was like, you know, just in case an, an employer or somebody sees this picture, you know, you don't want to want them to have this image of you. And like, you know, I never really thought about it. And like he, he bribed me. He said he would buy me a new computer if I did it. So I so I cut my hair. But like, I never thought about the true like implications of it. Well, I mean, and I get it. Even with, you know, what you say, the employer, like we've gotten to a space as black people and I hope this changes over the course of the next 10, 20 years. It, there's going to have to be a radical shift for multiple reasons that I won't go into, but there's nothing wrong with naming our kids Daquan 
you know there's nothing wrong with naming our our daughters Lakeisha like that's that's our culture we have to make our own culture in America this is radical toasting speaking but we have to <laughs> no but you're you're absolutely right and I appreciate you speaking on that because me and Jamila my wife we just had a friend who had to change switch her names so her name her first name is definitely urban <laughs> I don't want to say urban, but it's definitely Ethnic. a name that make you stand out. <laughs> right. Like, I get it. Pictures her, and so she wasn't getting callbacks for jobs. Yep. So she switched her middle name to be her first name. So she goes by her middle name, and she's getting callbacks, and she's able to get jobs. And the whole judgment comes down from either family influenced or trying to fit into the the outer world and you definitely need to continue to reinforce that confidence and I appreciate you saying that Tosin because working in corporate America you feel like you gotta buy in and you have to do these things to fit in and we're in, still not accepted but, and we're still not accepted and that's where depression comes in like when you do everything you're taught to do you do it well, you do it at a high level and you're consistent and you still don't get the results that you had anticipated. Depression is right there. That's the definition of man. Like, am I really that bad? And that's where doubt creeps in. And that's how you get stuck. And we have to continue to encourage our people to be great being what they are. And we have to take off these blinders or what we think is limiting us from growing and we have to not be afraid to be the first one to start something if laquisha can't get a job laquisha you can be the first one to run your right. own business. you can be the first one in your family to be a millionaire because don't try to buy into the quote-unquote typical black girl because in my industry there's not that many black right. women and it's not because they're not talented it's not because they're not good enough it's because there's bias in how they view black women in my industry and it's super unfortunate. Right. It exists everywhere, bro. Yeah. To um well Vince had mentioned about the portrayal in media of African Americans. So remember when it was it was homegrown in the 90s. Martin had on Jordans and a t-shirt in his uh, and when he was sitting on the couch. Like they went out to drive and the, the Fresh Prince was just wearing that green and yellow shirt and a fitted hat. And then the shift came because back, like I said, in the 90s, it was just all, this is what I wear. Like, I look just like the Fresh Prince. He's not wearing a million dollar shoes. In the early 2000s is when they did start doing the whole professional black um, movies like Brown Sugar right. and The Wood. Like, there was like a, a wave of, okay, this is what y'all, this, you know, progressive black but the problem was we didn't receive it as much as we did the homegrown hood movies like Boys in the Hood, um, Genesis, Men of Society, Juice, all those movies. Those are, you know, because they didn't have the budgets to be blockbuster. But when they so we started having the money to go to Paramount and Warner Brothers and do the big budget movies and do it where Tay Diggs is wearing glasses and a suit, you know, now they're hood classics in retrospect but it just yeah, we didn't cling to it so hence why they aren't just like uh, Aubrey said they're not willing to shell out the money for that 
But if you got DC, what is that kid named DC, whatever from Young yeah, DC Fly, if you got him shucking and jiving, then he's going to be in the movie. Like, remember, he was in that Christmas movie with, um, with, uh, Gabriel Union and, um, yeah, and Mr. from Color Purple. Um, <laughs> Danny, yeah, Danny Glover, yeah. Like, he was in that movie and he was a whole buffoon. The only thing they didn't have is that tattoo he has on his head. They had it like, Makeup on it, yeah. So you couldn't see that. that tattoo on his forehead. Was it a just like, Christmas or something? Yeah, it was like one of them. Yeah, Christmas movies that used the word Christmas in it. Forever Christmas, this Christmas, Urban Christmas, like <laughs> Christmas Black Returns. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we 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 did have that wave, and it's kind of the case now. If you watch the black movie, because it's unfortunate, there's typically like one black movie of the year, like Why Did I Get Married, and and um. Because that would have been a black portrayal. Granted, it was a black movie with a black producer, black everything. Uh, so we have those movies coming out now. They just don't hit as hard. The ones that hit hard are Twelve Years a Slave, Django. Yeah, didn't Twelve Years a Slave win the Oscar that year? Yeah. Lupita won the Oscar. Moonlight won the Oscar. Playing the the Miami Street '90s urban movie, like. It's it's rarely gonna be the stand up. We always say Denzel had to be crooked before he took it, right? Like, but he couldn't get it when he was a lawyer in Philadelphia, which he quiet as a cab. He played a better role to me than um, Homeboy did in that same movie. Um, Forrest Gump did. Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks. I, I don't know what his real name. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he. So. It's, it's it's crazy as far as the portrayal and me and um tosin had this conversation years ago uh i've read um uh y'all know I'm marcus garvey no um edris edris eldridge cleaver funny thing is oh, aubrey God. you get you drove me to the books a million that day to to purchase that book we were headed to um classic uh not classic florida uh cookman homecoming um, and I read it and he refers to the black male as super masculine menials. And that is literally what the world portrays an African-American male as. You are extremely masculine, ultra masculine. The, the word now is toxic mas- masculinity. So masculinity, right, right. I hate that in friggin I hate that in phrase. New Jack City, the Italian dude was like this, this Mulian, Mulian, he has a, he has an MX missile for a cock. He jumps out of the gym. Like that's how they view us. Like you're jumping out the gym. Right. You're really good at fighting. You're Kimbo Slice. When y'all get into a fight, you go knock someone out. It's going to be on world star. Yeah. You're, but you're a menial, meaning the best job you could probably get is janitor but but the the white male is i'm not as super masculine as you i'm probably not gonna be as good at football as you probably can't jump as high as you but i'm probably gonna be the ceo and i'm gonna be cutting the check to you and that like is the epicenter of implicit bias because that's what they see when they're coming up to the car the example i gave my wife is when a a police officer is walking up to the car for a, uh, a black person hand is on the hip before they get there but when they get go home up to the um car for a white person they're just leaning on the car like hey how's it going you know you were speeding a while ago right like the the approach to the car is completely different because of the implicit bias this person is a you know hyper masculine i'm gonna use the words um know what i'm saying 12 times gonna say cuz instead of ask like and not gonna be able to communicate with me and they're gonna get frustrated so i gotta be on edge at all times 
as right. but i'm not racist though it's not because they're black that's just how they are you know how they are and, and i think that's where a lot of yeah you there yeah i'm here sorry yep no you're you're right um Man, you had a point that I was getting to. You know what's funny about them saying that, yeah, maybe we can jump out of the gym, but, you know, we we are probably not going to be CEO. What's funny about the jump out of the gym thing was there was a point in time, and I think that this is why Jesse Owens, um, yeah, Jesse Owens is such a, a, a big figure, figure in our history. I believe that it was Nazi Germany that perpetuated this notion that African-Americans can't compete in sport. At one point in time in our history, we weren't seen as competent or we even coordinated physically to comp- compete from a sporting perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Jesse Owens dominated in the Olympics, which was in Nazi Germany. Berlin, baby. Berlin. Yeah, it was, it was seen as a huge changing point in terms of how we're viewed so now you know you look at today we're seen as a super athlete which still somewhat plays into that notion um you can even take into quarterbacks you know it's the notion that blacks can't play quarterback now you look can't lead a team yeah can't lead a team now we're dominating from a quarterback like last year was historic you know yep. Mahomes. Yep. the year the quarterback i was just, I was just saying that to myself yeah. i was thinking about tweeting it i was like i I grew up in the days of Randall Cunningham and and, and, Vig, and Warren Moon, Cole, and Pepper, they always right. said that we weren't smart enough to be quarterback. Now the league MVP and the Super Bowl MVP are both black quarterbacks, and that's it's going to be that way. Like that's and we we we've been seen as lesser intelligent, uncoordinated, but you know, generation after generation, we just continue to prove people wrong. And it's stupid that we even have to prove people. Like, come on, we're human, you know. But um, it's, it's 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 much deeper, man. It's it's and much deeper. Toast. I don't know if you remember a moment <clears throat> that you had made a comment, and there's certain comments that always stand out to me, which is, and in some cases, is unfortunate. When we used to play flag football, I remember um, you had said one of the guys, I don't know what race they were, had made a comment yeah. about your physique. Yeah. Yeah, you remember yeah, what I'm talking exactly, about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they were like, man. Tosin doesn't even have to work out. You know how the black people are. Like they just they're just cut yeah. like that. Like, cause you know, you'll see, you'll be in the hood and it'll be just random Pookie or Ray Ray who right. doesn't play sports or nothing, but his shirt is off and he's six-pack abs and stuff. And then and this the notion was me in my race or culture, I'd have to go to the gym and be on protein shakes to look like that. But you know how black right. people are, they just right. naturally look like that because of their genetics. And that stood out to me, and it's always bothered me. Because it, I could tell it bothered you enough to mention yeah. it to me. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's definitely one of those things that we've always been seen as, like, damn, you're subhuman, you know? And that narrative has is, is changed from us, you know, being super athletic and, you know, all of these things about our physique. But, you know, it translates to us being lesser intelligent and not having the same level of intelligence. And yeah, it's, it's a lot, Tosin was with me that one night the dude came up to me was like are you a fighter oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not in any type of athletic gear I'm not even doing any fighting motions I'm like, just chilling smile on my face? minding my business <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and he was like you're just cut up like you have to like look at someone really hard in regular clothes to just walk up to him and be like are you a fighter right. 
and actually had to tell my job this past week how I appreciate the compliments of reminiscing about my football days and talking about my physique, but I haven't played an organized down of football <laughs> in over 15 years. But I have what people call traps, my trap muscles. Yeah. Everywhere I go, I get asked about my shoulders, like my arms. Or, <laughs> and and it's like, I appreciate the compliment. Like, no guy's going to be like, no, nah, man, stop talking about my body. Like, yes, I appreciate it. But if that's like, I don't walk up to anyone and be like, oh, man, look at your calf muscles. Damn, you got, you must run or you must squat out. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm more than just how I look on my body. And it, it sounds weird as a man saying this, because I know in the past I've been the type of guy who will, you know, say certain things to a certain person back in my day but it's like I don't want to be known as just the, the swole dude with the traps yeah. like, that's just not how I see myself even when I play football but it's just something that comes up and it's the always the most inopportune time like I'll be at the doctor's office <laughs> and they'll be like do I know you like no you don't know me like uh, I remember this one time vividly I was in the hospital from the delivery of my daughter. And because of where I work, I have a lot of gear. So waiting for them to, you know, clean up my daughter. And it was like, should I know who you are? Right, right. <laughs> I'm the father. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Did you know who I am? Like, is that a normal question? You just ask people out of the blue. Like, if I wasn't black or built this way, would that even come across your mind? And it's just one of those things where I'm sure it's innocent and I'm sure they don't do it all the time. So to them, it's not as common. It's a but for me, it's, it's an everyday experience. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'm always asked, do I do this? Or am I, am I, am I, am I like a famous person or something? It's like, it's just like, really? <laughs> like, it's just so crazy. And I hate that it happened to Toast and I hate that it happens to any of us because we're so much more than an athlete and then the assumption of us being intelligent or not being able to communicate or express ourselves a certain way i hate that notion as well it's just james baldwin james baldwin said it best like the more aware you are the more angry you become and yeah it's just you just i just shake my head pretty much all day now i'm becoming that black man that hears a headline or reads an article and just shake my head because it's just so frustrating at times. You know what's funny about that, man? If you think that we we feel a certain way, imagine how black women feel. You know, exactly. Like that that has to be like, and that comes from us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yep. Because <laughs> at wow. least we might get the benefit of the doubt of well, maybe he's like Denzel. Denzel's not one of them. He's one of the other ones. Or maybe he's like Obama. Like though, he's one of the good ones. But they never give a black woman the benefit of the doubt. They are to automatically associate them with loud, aggressive, like. Angry. Exactly. Like, there's no. I mean, outside of funny thing, I'm walking by um, Michelle Obama's autobiography right now. Like, that's the <laughs> that's the comparison. Like, that's the pinnacle. Is you literally have to be the first black African American uh, first lady to be the comparison of a decent black woman in the minds of someone who's a bigot or just someone who doesn't think that they're racist, but they are. Even <laughs> racist. she was she was subject to a lot of slander and racism as well. Bro, they. They called her a gorilla. Yeah. They compared her to a aggressive Muslim. Like it was terrible. And now she's loved. She's one of the most famous women to ever walk the earth. But those first few years in the campaign and 
even in the White House, she was just drugged through the mud. And it's just, it's crazy the type of stuff that we go through. And I don't want to keep dwelling on the negatives because there's so much positive going on. Um, Father's Day is coming up this weekend. And, you know, a lot of us are fathers on the call. And Vince, we're still waiting for you to share that great news one day. <laughs> um, but it, it hit me today that all of our first kids will be graduating either the same weekend or the right, same day right. and it's just I know it's far away from now but that's just like we're gonna always have those same moments and I, I'm glad that I get to share that with y'all as far as the moment they graduate from elementary school the moment they move from middle school to high school and graduation and prom it's like we're gonna all be doing that the same year and that's just it wasn't planned it's, people may think that we planned it but we had no idea what we were all doing with our spouses it just randomly happened <laughs> that right. way Tosin what, was but, TJ born February 20th February 23rd 23rd okay because it seems like yep. they're all in like the 20th range so yeah it's, uh, it's oh, yeah. definitely even um yeah y'all was at the party and Avery <laughs> yeah yep Avery even Avery like yeah Avery Stella TJ and Kamora we'll all be celebrating same milestones at the same time which is bizarre but it's something that I always wanted like I know that sounds crazy for a man to say that but for me I always wanted the community of my friends to see their kids grow up and we text this to each other it's like man if I see you know Kamora out and about and I'm gonna text to see if you know about it and if you don't she get in the car with me because I don't want nothing to happen right. to her and I want to protect her because you always it takes a village like yeah. I believe in that wholeheartedly and I just I love the fact that we get to share this bond as men, homeboys, and fathers because it's so it's it's still needed in 2020. Black fathers are still needed, um, especially with all the craziness that's going on. So um, I'm happy for you boys. Um, do you guys have any rituals or plans or traditions as far as this weekend? Are you going to chill? Um, there's not much I can do, man, with all this COVID stuff. I just, yeah, you know, last year was amazing because I, <laughs> I got surprised with a nice steak dinner. But uh, nice. <laughs> I'm just looking to chill, man. Yeah. Yeah. What about we you, don't really Ray? have a tradition because each year has just been, has a, a different asterisk next to it or just a weird scenario. So the first Father's Day was it wasn't weird it was good we went out at that time i wasn't eating uh meat so we went to this one vegan place my wife surprised me um that was downtown tampa last year we didn't do much because if y'all don't know my daughter was had to go to the hospital had some procedures going on so we were kind of saving to do that because initially our insurance didn't cover it but eventually it did so last year was just probably just chilling at the house it wasn't anything huge that we did and then this year is another you know things are limited not because of finances but just because it's it's covid and there's right. things are limited in general so we haven't really established a ritual because every year has had some type of different thing about it and then like our, my first father's day she was really really young so my wife was still on maternity leave and stuff so Nice, nice. Yeah, this year I don't think we have anything planned to do, but I do look forward to recognizing. Like for me, it's a reflection. Like I like to recognize the men in my life, especially my dad, because now that I'm a father, it's like 
you understand the good, bad, or indifferent of what makes a father a father. Like, I hate seeing, and maybe this is just my group of friends on social media, I hate when women bash the men in their lives or they want to extra love their moms. And it's like, yeah, that's great, but you don't know the whole story. You got like a one-sided version of why your dad was absent or whatever the case may be. And there's like no perfect situation. So... Um, I just think that it's a complex thing to be a dad. It's great that you can be there every day and be that consistent father, but it's it's so many levels of fatherhood, and um, everyone's not going to be, you know, the huxtable version of a father. Right. And I think no matter who your dad is, what your dad is, where your dad is, it's still important to celebrate him um, as what he is. And and I'm just I'm thankful that I got that tough upbringing from my dad because it made me see the world in a perspective and lens that I do so shout out to all the dads out there and um, you know um, it, it's going to be it's going to be a good weekend oh yeah it is that that I'm definitely looking forward to is just the chill and just the, the weekend to be acknowledged because we all know a lot of these you know these hallmark <laughs> holidays are really for the women to kind of yes. enjoy themselves whether it's Mother's Day, Grandmother's Day or Valentine's Day or this day like this is kind of our day and this yep. is where we kind of get to make the rules like hey can i just play xbox for two hours and can i watch this <laughs> right right we as men get two holidays our birthdays and father's day <laughs> are you guys off tomorrow uh yeah actually man um my company they came through and said that uh we're giving friday off oh so was- june for juneteenth Right. Yeah, Juneteenth. Oh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I mean, what about yeah. you, Vince? Are you off? Uh, no, no. We we would definitely be working tomorrow. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, because like my my company, we don't even get off for for Martin Luther King. So I doubt that they they make any kind of changes for to, for tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> Shelly yeah. Shelly's company is, is is taking the day off. So. Oh, that's nice. Could you explain what Juneteenth is, um, Aubrey, for the listeners who aren't familiar? Uh, so Juneteenth is a holiday reserved for African-Americans as the day we were freed under the Emancipation of Proclamation. I think that's the best definition. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, that's, um, that's how I take it as as well. But yeah. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, it's- is to well it, honor the day we were free. No, it's not the day that we were freed. It was the date that we recognized as being free. So um, I don't remember what was the original date, but there was an original date that the Emancipation Proclamation took place on. Um, but you know there was an email or text message back then, so <laughs> uh, we didn't we didn't get the message. And I think it's specific in like certain states like Texas and Louisiana. Um, it didn't come through until like June 19th. Um, so, you know, they were still in bondage for, or in slavery for a few months after the Emancipation Proclamation took place. Do you um, ever think about stuff like that? What were you saying? Continue, my bad. No, no, no. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I was saying, do you ever think about like that concept of it's a it's a social norm to be a slave, so there's just verbiage that goes out that you're no longer a slave. There's no right, paperwork. Right. There's no 
debit card or nothing like that is but there's also no mass communication for you to be informed of it so i was reading um uh, up from slavery which is um booker t washington's um autobiography and he was because he was born a slave and he was like you could like there would be one slave who knew how to read and he would be at the post office overhearing what the white people were saying and he'd run back and tell the people in the slave quarters and it would change how they were singing like first they were just singing you know we shall overcome or whatever and then like the songs started getting more jovial and like man this kind of getting emotional thinking about it but like the the more and more they were telling the good news like the songs became more jovial and then you could tell that they eventually were going to be free but it took a while for them to officially be free because how were they going to know that they were legit free and how do they know it wasn't you know a trick or something like that but it was right, like right. one person on the slave um on, on the plantation would go to the post office overhear conversations pretend he was sweeping and then relay back what he thought he heard to and you know how that is you relaying back a message it turns into 10 different messages um but that that concept in general like could you imagine living through that right yes yeah, uh, but, crazy. but you know, the crazy thing about that, um, Dre, is because it's a piece of paper and, you know, we're, we're told something and, you know, it's word of mouth back then. Well, you think about post-reconstruction, you know, we had our own governments. We, we were, you know, becoming entrenched in American life as, you know, citizens, not property. And you know what? They said, hey... We don't like how this is going, so we're going to form a... Burn it down to the ground. Right. We're going to form, you know, militias. We're going to form, you know, terrorist groups. And we're literally going to upend your way of living. And you know what? You have systems of government in place, but we don't care. We're going to overthrow that. And we're going to just make your life a living hell. So it's just like, it's crazy to even fathom, like, to your, to your point of just having a piece of paper that that's going to free us and you know operating off a of word of mouth what protections do we ever have in place mm -hmm. you know if you could just come through and just destroy our entire town yeah and that, that may be a, a whole different episode of the podcast we might legit have to have a reconstruction uh, uh yeah, for like, sure. that is a deep deep pool to to dive into as far as like right, the compromise right. of 1812 where they took back like the the 40 48 rule like that was a legit thing there was actually a, a compromise set in place for that uh for each slave owner to get 40 acres in the mule uh, and then there was a I forgot which presidential election it was but the compromise when i think the democrats or the republicans gave up the compromise was to take all of the um the national guard out of the south so there was no more army in the south protecting african-americans anymore and that snowball into a hole where we are now legitimately that's where we are now right uh, like i said that, that we can dip into that for another two hours indeed indeed well um any last remarks anything you guys want to just talk about before we wrap um i try i want to bring it back on a lighter note even though what we're talking about isn't necessarily a dark note it's just life and it's truth right. and it kind of just 
you know, we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable now. <laughs> like, right, yeah, right, uncomfortable right. Conversations to have. That's the term of the century, right? Yeah, you know, it's true. We, some people call it bars, but you know, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> but um, we, we do need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So it's conversations that need to be had. Um, but uh, I guess on on a lighter note, I'm I'm glad it's kind of morbid, but I'm I'm glad these things are happening because it's finally the world waking up and realizing whoa there are bad people out there <laughs> like it's crazy like people are finally acknowledging yep been going this through this for 400 years like right. I, I think i tweeted something the other day or said something the other day where it's like hey ally you know that uncomfortable feeling you've been having at work around your black co-workers now that uncomfortable feeling you're having when you walk into Publix and you see someone who's black now imagine doing that for 400 years <laughs> like we've been uncomfortable for years now that's our life is being uncomfortable when we pass away we're mm-hmm. uncomfortable now like we've right. lived our entire lifetime being uncomfortable now you're finally getting a, a piece of it like oh eggshells when i walk into Publix and i see a black person eggshells when i'm sitting down next to my black co-worker now like that's always been the case but it took you guys 400 years to finally wake up maybe it's because we kicked some shit over for y'all to finally realize it uh, i also um sent y'all that um video of t- that um that analogy that tupac made where he was like with the panthers we were we were begging we were b- b- banging on the door we were marching you know in slavery days we were like we shall overcome now we're kicking in the door coming through blasting and that literally is the analogy of where we are today we asked we knocked on the door we marched we protest we boycotted and now we're just kicking shit over and that's why I was on the fence with the whole rioting and protesting, but that's where we are. Like, what else do you expect us to do? We got your oh, attention yeah. now that we're kicking oh, yeah. your shit over. And and I said this, man. Um, you know, be happy that that's the least that we're doing. Yep. <laughs> I mean, oh you yeah. Know, considering like rioting and and protesting, like that's that's easy. Somebody said. I heard something um, to the effect of white people saying, if you think something like that happened to us, you think that we would just go out like that? And like, no, we would like raise hell. Like, And that, to your point, that shows our humanity. Right, right. Not wanting revenge. We want equality. And that's where the conversation should just start. Like, if we were really vindictive or if we were really trying to get back, all hell would break right. loose. And a lot of people, especially like we mentioned, all the conservative black people, they may not like our approach. They may not like how aggressive we are, but enough is enough. Like, if you want us to live in this world and if you want us to adopt and, you know, abide by these rules, you have to recognize me first as a human being. And you're not going to be comfortable until all of us are free and all of us are getting our equal due. And until then, I don't care if all hell breaks loose. Like, I don't care how <laughs> reckless it gets out there. Like, we are, we had enough. Point blank period. Right. We're not asking. We're not begging. We may not go about it the way that people want. And it may make, pe- it may make black people uncomfortable. Right. But so be it. We, we have to kill this notion of superiority based on color of skin, based on education, based on class, like, we're, we're killing all that. Right. We are here for everyone's rights. Black, white, 
women, men, transgender, everyone. Like equality needs to be equal to all. Point blank period. Appreciate your time, fellas. This is definitely one of our deepest conversations. Um, happy Father's Day to you all. Have a good weekend. Vince, I hope you can get that test <laughs> so you can get back to work. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you don't have to take the nose test, though, right? You can take the, the swab, right? Um, I mean, I, I just know that I, I, I've got to get tested. Whatever test is going to be, it's going to be. I don't, I don't think I got it. But my my employers have <laughs> have finally decided to to be, you know, forward thinking and, and and try to get out ahead of this, <laughs> even though they're still behind it. So so tomorrow get my results sometime next week and, <laughs> and then I'll be back in the office. All right, man. <laughs> well, best, best of luck, homie. Stay safe. Yes, oh, yeah, and um, you guys enjoy your weekends and thank you again for All your right, time. Y'all All Take right, care, fellas, be easy. Peace.